0: The scripture reading for this afternoon is taken in connection with Lord's Day 15, the suffering of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We've reached that point in the Apostles' Creed. He suffered for us. And we'll be reading the entirety of the chapter of Isaiah 53. You'll be able to find that on page 847 of your pew Bible. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, and by his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. The Word of God. We'll be also reading the summary of God's Word as we find it in Lord's Day 15. What do you confess when you say that he suffered? During all the time he lived on earth, but especially at the end, Christ bore in body and soul the wrath of God against the sin of the whole human race. Thus, by his suffering as the only atoning sacrifice, he has redeemed our body and soul from everlasting damnation and obtained for us the grace of God, righteousness, and eternal life. Why did he suffer under Pontius Pilate as judge? Though innocent, Christ was condemned by an earthly judge, and so he freed us from the severe judgment of God that was to fall on us. Does it have a special meaning that Christ was crucified and did not die in a different way? Yes, thereby I am assured that he took upon himself the curse which lay on me, for a crucified one was cursed by God. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. A little over 80 years ago, on January 1st, 1937, a theological powerhouse passed away. John Gresham Machen was a theologian who was once a professor at Princeton and a member of the Presbyterian Church of the United States of America, the PCUSA he ended up leading a conservative group in exiting that denomination and forming the Orthodox Presbyterian Churches, the OPC. While Machen was well known for holding fast and faithfully to the Word of God, even to the point of establishing Westminster Seminary as an institution that would do the same so that the next generation of students and pastors would likewise be firmly and faithfully grounded, That wasn't the only legacy that he left. He was known for something else in particular. You see, Machen felt his own spiritual shortcomings very strongly in his life. He knew that he desperately needed Jesus Christ as his Lord. Because of this, he was very quick to speak to all those around, not only of the passive suffering of Jesus Christ, the passive obedience of Jesus Christ, but also the active obedience of Jesus Christ. And he held this to the end. One of the last messages that he sent was to a dear friend saying, so thankful for the active obedience of Christ. No hope without it. But what is this idea of the passive and active obedience of Christ? It's the recognition not just of the death of the suffering servant prophesied in Isaiah 53, but also of his obedient life, which Isaiah spoke about. It's the recognition that, as our catechism writes, during all the time he lived on earth, but especially at the end, Christ bore in body and soul the wrath of God against the sin of the whole human race. Christ not only died for our sins as a payment for our sins, but he also lived for our righteousness. So today we'll see that under the following theme and points, the suffering servant, and we'll see his active obedience and his passive obedience. So why does it matter that Christ was actively obedient? As we saw before, Christ's active Suffering refers to how Christ, uh, Christ's act of obedience refers to how Christ responded to suffering on earth during his life and to temptation. But not just that, it was specifically that he bore the sorrows and temptations of this life coming through them sinlessly. We read in 1 Peter 2 verse 22, in him there was no deceit. In John 8, verse 46, Christ himself said to the Pharisees, which of you can prove me guilty of sin? And none of them could answer. Christ did suffer throughout his life. But though there were plenty of opportunities, none of that suffering in his life led to sin. We can see this from the very earliest stages of his life. In the opening words of Isaiah's prophecy, we read, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. And it was true. He did really grow up like a root out of dry ground. There was nothing to attract us to him by the way that he came into the world if it wasn't for the knowledge of the virgin birth. Born in a stable in the little town of Bethlehem, it was a far cry from the glory that ought to have surrounded him. The Holy Spirit tells us in Philippians 2, the verses 7 to 8, that Christ made himself of no reputation, Taking on the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. You can see that his humbling of himself begins even before coming to the cross. There's a progression. He made himself of no reputation. Christ didn't come to earth to share in glory. He humbled himself, he limited himself of his own free will, choosing to take on the form of a man. He came to earth to share in our suffering, willingly taking it on himself. And not only did he choose not to receive the honor that was due to him, but he chose to be born into these poor circumstances and into rejection. His birth was in a stable, his cradle was a manger, a trough for animals. Even growing up, he chose to share in the life of regular humanity, not walking through the halls of kings. But for 30 years before entering into his ministry, he grew up under his father and himself became a simple carpenter in Nazareth. That's not to say that he couldn't have joined the elite members of society if he had wanted to. We read in the Bible how even as a 12-year-old, he impressed the rabbis by his wisdom and his knowledge. But still, he chose to live with parents who didn't completely understand him and to be subject to them. Luke 2, verse 51. Some of you young people might think that your parents don't understand you. How much more would parents not completely understand a young man whose father was God himself, who was meant to be the savior of the world? Some of you think your siblings are difficult to deal with as well, and it's easy to get angry at them and lash out at them. Well, Jesus experienced this in a much greater way. When Jesus' siblings heard in Mark 3, verse 21, that he was teaching and he was gathering disciples, They went out to take custody of him, saying, he's crazy. They couldn't wrap their minds around the fact that their brother, who had been a carpenter probably for a good 15 years by that point in time, was now taking the position of a rabbi, a teacher. In verses 31 to 35 of that same passage, we read how they even came to the place where he was preaching and teaching, sending someone in to take him away. He faced all kinds of misunderstandings and opposition, even from those who were close around him. Even from the spiritual leaders who should have acknowledged him, but instead accused him of being demon-possessed. And yet he faced all of this, and he responded to all of this without sinning. Jesus also suffered from hunger, Matthew 4, verse 2, and thirst, John 19, verse 28. He grieved at the death of his friend Lazarus, John 11, and was righteously angry with people who took financial advantage of pilgrims in the temple, Mark 11. He was betrayed with a kiss by one of his closest friends, Mark 14, verse 44, and was abandoned by all of his other ones, Mark 14, verse 50. He faced injustice at the hands of the government and was physically abused, Mark 15, and was condemned to death. He was exposed to the whole range of human experience, and he lived a truly human life, not looking to dodge anything, but facing it all head on. And yet in all this, he did not sin. He had God the Father remain silent, his very silence saying no When he said, if there is any other way, take this cup from me. Luke 22, verse 42. He had crowds of people around him believing that he was deserving of death because he had committed blasphemy against God when he hadn't done anything other than speak the truth. And yet in all this, he did not sin. This is what the prophet Isaiah spoke of in our passage today. When he wrote, he is despised and he is rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken by God, smitten and afflicted. He was oppressed. And was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. But more than that, not just in his sufferings did Jesus face temptation, but he would have faced the same temptations of all of us in times of rejoicing as well. When he made wine at the wedding feast at Cana and celebrated with friends and celebrated with other people throughout his life, he could have overindulged. When he was welcomed by cheering crowds when riding into Jerusalem at the time of his triumphal entry, he could have used that moment to elevate himself. He could have basked in the joy of the crowds. But even there, he kept his greater goal in mind the advancement of the kingdom of God. Throughout his life on earth, he faced everything that we have to face and so much more, and yet he remained blameless. As the Spirit of God says in Hebrews 4 verse 15, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but he was in all points tempted as we are and yet without sin. Christ is to be our example in this, beloved. As boys and girls, we need to strive to be subject to our parents and to respect them even when it feels like they don't understand us. As Christians, we need to confront sin where it's found with boldness, yet we're still called to love even our enemies as we confront them and bless those who persecute us. We're called not to be dependent on substance abuse, but to be dependent on God. We're called to face grief and betrayal without sin. As we, read in, as we read in the Scriptures, to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in His steps. He who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in His mouth, who when He was reviled did not revile in return, when He suffered He did not threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously. We are called to follow Christ as our example. The one who lived sinlessly. But our own lives do not measure up to that standard, do they? We read in Matthew 5 verse 20 Jesus telling the people unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees you will by no means enter into the kingdom of heaven. The scribes and the Pharisees were considered among the most righteous and outwardly law abiding people in all of Israel. For the people in Jesus' day this was far beyond their reach. For us in our day we look at that And we would say, that's probably far beyond our reach. More than that, in suffering, we so often respond with sin. There's a saying out there, hurt people hurt other people, and oh, how true that is. So how are we to look at our lives, seeing how we fall short of that example? Praise God, our Lord Jesus Christ is so much more than an example. By his perfect life, he lived the perfect life that God demands. More than that, he earns for us entrance into the kingdom of heaven. His perfect life, his merits become our righteousness. And so we aren't just given a clean slate. We are given a positive balance. The righteous life he lived is counted for us even as certainly as the death that he died wipes away the debt that we owed. And this brings us to our second point, the passive obedience of Christ. So we see, first of all, the act of obedience of Christ. Christ lived the perfect life that we ought to have lived. Christ earned us entry into heaven His perfect life and his righteousness has, as our catechism says, obtained for us the grace of God, righteousness and eternal life. His death made sure that the righteous life that Jesus lived would be applied to us. And that gives us courage. It encourages us because we know that our failures, as we strive to live in a Christ-like way, aren't counted against us. Isaiah said, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has gone to his own way. But the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Our good works, for those who put their faith in Christ, the fact that your good works are less than perfect, don't take away from your ability to be saved. In fact, they're removed from the salvation equation altogether. Instead of being a payment that falls short of the balance, it becomes proof to us that we are beginning to live that new life. That God is at work within us as we strive for the example of Jesus Christ. It gives us assurance that we do belong to Christ because it shows that Christ is living through us and the fact that we have been brought from darkness into light and have Christ living through us by His Spirit drives us all the more eagerly to live for Him, to put to death anything that might undermine this new life and assurance that we have, and to continue to imitate Him and to glorify His name. Our good works are a fruit of the salvation in which we live. The more we live showing these fruits, the more we find assurance that it is truly Christ living in us. But what about all those bad things that we've done in the past? We gain entry into heaven because Christ was perfectly obedient in his life and by his death, and that lifetime of obedience is applied to everyone who believes in him. But what about our sins? Do we drag that weight? Do we drag all of our history with us into eternity? Well, here is where what is called the passive obedience of Christ becomes such a great comfort to us. And that is what Isaiah 53 particularly zeroes in on. We read in verses 5 to 6, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord has taken it off of us, that weight that's dragged behind us, that history that follows us wherever we go, and he's placed it on Jesus Christ at the cross and here's where the active and passive obedience of Christ come together on the cross because to be a fitting sacrifice Jesus Christ needed to be without sin he needed that active obedience as our Catechism puts it in Lord's Day 6 one who is himself a sinner cannot pay for the sins of others and we see this vividly pictured in the Old Testament don't we In the Old Testament, we read about how a lamb that was to be offered for a sacrifice had to be completely spotless. No blemishes, no sickness, nothing that took away from its value as a sacrifice. And that was to drive home to the people of Israel that a sacrifice needed to be perfect. Now John the Baptist, the man who came before Jesus Christ, to prepare the way for him, declared him to be the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin from the world. The sin of the world. This kind of language ought to immediately catch our attention. While John's audience may not have realized the full implication of what John meant, we know that it means that Jesus would have to suffer and to die as a sacrifice for our sins. But more than that, To compare Jesus to the old sacrifice that had strict rules around it, we are shown that it was important for Jesus to be perfect and blameless. It was important, vital for him to be perfect and blameless. Isaiah declared he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter." And as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And so Jesus was silent as he was sentenced. This silence was important because if he had spoken up, the corrupt governor, Pontius Pilate, may have been swayed to release him, even despite his fear. But as it was, Pilate just washed his hands of the matter. He did declare Jesus innocent. But he condemned him to death. And by, he condemned him to death particularly by handing him over to the Jewish leaders to be executed, even though he himself did not say the words. But what they had intended for evil, God turned to good. Though innocent, Christ was condemned by an earthly judge so that he would be wounded, as Isaiah said, for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. God turned his face away from his son, turning this miscarriage of justice into a sacrifice which would have echoes into eternity for all of his people. He turned his face away that the weight of the sin that was on our shoulders could be placed on him. And this was highlighted in the fact that he was crucified. In this fact, we have proof that he suffered under God's curse for us. Christ's crucifixion was public proof, very public. Couldn't get much more public than being suspended in the air. It was public proof that he was under the curse of God. Why? Galatians 3. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, and here it quotes Deuteronomy, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Now, all who are under sin are under a curse. You were under a curse. I was under a curse. And if your faith is not in Jesus Christ, you are still under that curse. Everything you've done wrong is remembered by a perfectly just and a perfectly holy God. But we have the comfort, the comfort prophesied over 700 years before Jesus Christ came to be on this earth. We have the comfort that in Christ the curse is lifted for those who believe in him. It was taken off of us and placed on the one who was publicly displayed as being under the curse of God. And in him it's as if we neither had nor committed any sin We are washed clean. We are washed whiter than snow. And any sorrow that we have, that is taken with us, every tear will be wiped away. Isaiah writes in verse 12 of the confidence we can have because he poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors and he bore the sin of many and he made intercession for the transgressors. We don't need to worry about dragging our sins and dragging our past into eternity. We don't need to fear that our past will haunt us forever. Because Christ already took that on himself in that fearful moment on the cross when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This was a guarantee that God will not forsake us for a sin that is already paid in full in Christ. It was a guarantee that both Christ's, what we call today, Christ's passive and active obedience was given to us, was applied to us. Through him, we're not just transported back into Eden. We're not just transported to a state of sinlessness before God, but through Him we are transported into the joy of our Heavenly Father's glory. And thinking back to Jay Gresham Machen, that man who died those many years ago, we can also say, I'm so grateful for the obedience of Christ. We ourselves, although it's helpful to split it into categories, don't need to think of it as passive or active, but it helps us to remember we are so grateful for the obedience of Christ, passive in bearing the weight of my sin and active in earning God's favor and throwing open the gates of heaven before me. And that is the confession of faith. Confession of belief in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Saying, I'm so grateful for the obedience of Christ because there's no hope without it. Amen.